know, Frank, once, one time when I was overwhelmed with this pain stuff that I experienced, and I reached out to a brother, and this brother shared with me something that impacts me every single day, and that is that it actually came in the form of a rebuke of him saying, you do such, you know, relentless work in comforting others and reaching out to others and helping them and, and, um, he said, uh, when Jesus wants to be close to you, you have to agree to join his fellowship of sufferings. And you know, that's a part of my relationship with Christ. I didn't even want to talk about. Mm. And but the reality that I'm living in today is that comes with my friendship. It comes with my, my relationship with Jesus from within. And that is, I cannot be afraid to join the fellowship of his sufferings and I've got to tell you, Frank, I have found more intimacy in joining his fellowship in my suffering and in his suffering than I have in any book I've ever read or mm-hmm. written or heard from anyone. There's mm-hmm. something about agreeing to join him to that level of intimacy with, with our beloved Savior and husband where we just don't consider not accepting the fellowship of his sufferings. Hmm. And that's been a very practical tool for me. Well, you know, the book, Stephen, sitting under the wonderful teachers that we have, those are the lecture. But it's living in this fallen world where we experience the lab. And in educational system, the lab is the place where you prove that whether the lectures are true or not. And, you know, that's what I think you're saying you experience is you take, you took the truth of father's word and you brought it into the lab of life and found it's true. And he is the one who will go through the many waters. He is the one who will shepherd you from the valley of the shadow of death. He is the one that will never leave or forsake you. Uh, You you quoted that it's Philippians, you know, I want to know him, the power of his resurrection. Uh, but the, sec- the third part of the verse <laughs> kind of gets neglected and the fellowship of his sufferings. What? <laughs> but, you know, you can't have a resurrection unless you have a death. And here's the thing. I think the body of Christ, my favorite passage in the Bible now. I mean, when I started off as a young pup out of cemetery, uh, seminary, um, my theme verse was John 17, you know, sanctify them in thy truth. Thy word is truth. And I'm going to go teach the truth and people are going to get established in Christ. And now I've had 40 years of living in the lab of a fallen world. My favorite passage is 2 Corinthians 4. Uh, in the second Corinthians, you know, 1 Corinthians gets all the press. But 2 Corinthians is an amazing letter because Paul said there, I'm going to open my heart in this letter. 
So you read Philippians and Romans and all those books, you get his mind. But in 2 Corinthians, you get that amazing man's heart. And he says, we have this power in earthen vessels, this treasure, so that it might become manifest that the strength is not from us, but from him. And then he goes on that we get knocked around in this fallen world. And then he says this amazing statement. Death comes at us every day. Whoa. When did you ever hear that taught in church? Death comes at us every day. And then a purpose clause. In order that the life within might be made manifest. Whoa. And then he says, therefore, we don't quit. And, you know, Stephen, I I don't remember whether this was uh, a conversation I had with God and this is what was in my mind, or I don't remember if I read it in a book years ago. You know, I I just, I don't want to say because I don't remember, but I know it did impact me powerfully. It was a hypothetical. When we are face-to-face in eternity and it's hundreds of, you know, what would have been years, of course, there's no time in eternity, but eons in eternity, we might get a religious urge and we run to the Lord Jesus and we say, Lord, I would suffer for you. And he will say in return, you already had that chance. And you will never be afforded that opportunity again for all eternity. That's a huge thing to ponder. I am in the position today, and I say this to everyone who's listening. I'm not sure you can have intimacy without suffering. Mm. You know, when I dialogue with persecuted Christians around the world, they have got something that Americans, most Americans within the church do not understand. I had one guy say to me recently, he said, we don't even ponder on persecution. We expect it to be a part of our normal faith. Hmm. And I think that as for me, and I don't know about those of you who are listening, if this is the same lesson or not, but I know for me, I was missing out on a very, very important piece of my relationship with the indwelling life of Christ. And that was, I really didn't understand the importance of pain and suffering to have a glorious, intimate relationship with Jesus. Hmm. There's just so much that happens in the middle of pain and suffering that cannot happen in any other environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think in a prosperous culture, too, uh, you know, faith is born out of need. And in America, we are just, we really don't have a lot of need. Uh, we're hungry. We just go to the cupboard. <laughs> you know, we're cold. We'll just turn on the heater. Uh, it's its very, you know, in a prosperous culture, uh, God can very easily become an elective course for much of life. Uh, We call on him when we need him. 
But in those cultures where they don't know if they're going to eat a meal, if they don't know if they're going to survive the next day, um, you better find God. <laughs> so oh, Frank, you you yeah. got us. You have to tell us about the the Susie story. Oh, <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, she gave me permission to tell her story. Of course, she very uh, business lady, uh, very well put together. Comes in my office. Had our pleasantries. And I said, so why are you here? And do I'm having trouble in my relationship, my husband? And I said, well, thank you for sharing. And she says, well, I've had trouble in all my relationships. And I'm like, oh, thank you for sharing. I love you, accept you, you know, do all that sort of thing. And I said, why do you think you have all this trouble? And she's probably because I was sexually abused when I was a child. And she told it to me like she's telling me the weather. And I said, you were sexually abused as a child? She's, yeah, my uncle, father, brother, cousin, they all took turns with me from age like four to 13. And that was way above my pay grade. <laughs> so I said, Holy Spirit, help. <laughs> and this is how he led me. I said, where was God? And she instantly said, he was on his throne, I guess. And I got some anger. And it was confirmation that the Holy Spirit knew what he was doing. You know, what a novel idea. <laughs> so I continued to press her. Well, what do you mean he was on his throne? I said, uh, if he was on his throne, let's talk about that. I mean, what kind of God do you have? I mean, is your God the God of that guy that wrote the book, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? Or basically the thesis is God is weak? No. I said, well, maybe your God is the deist God. He created everything, but he's backed off and he's looking at you getting raped. He's, oh, look at that. So sad. Is that your God? No. And she starts crying. And so we... we brought to her attention who God is. He's all powerful, completely loving, uh, sits on the throne of the universe. Ephesians 1.11 works all things after the counsel of his own will, doesn't cause the evil. We know that. Psalm 119, he is good and does only good. But he didn't stop it. When that was exactly her statement, she said, well, then he could have stopped it and didn't. And then she said, Why? And boy, I tell you, I'm right where she is. I'm, I'm a white kid. And God and I have lots of conversations. Uh, and I told her, I said, baby, I don't know why, but I'll journey with you. And it was, uh, I normally don't meet with people more than about six to 10, 12 times. I find that if they don't get it by then, you know, go away, come back when you're ready. But this little lady, I, I met with her for about a year and a half. And uh, she finally came in one day, a big smile on her face. Frank Freeman, I don't need you anymore. And I said, really, tell me about that. And she said, I know God in a way you will never know him. And I said, that was what this last 18 months was about. And I told her, of course, I said, well, you know, I know God in a way you'll never know him. She said, I know that too. And then she made this very powerful question. She said, did I really have to go through all that to get to where I am? And again, I'm not going there. That's above my pay grade. I said, baby, I can't answer that. But then she said this. I think I did. I don't know if I would have found God the way I know him if I hadn't needed him that desperately. Um, I'm glad she said that because that's something I wouldn't say to somebody. Um, 
but you know, I have a discipleship group with a bunch of guys. And one of my guys recently said, you know, to get to where I am today, I would go through everything I went through again. And he looked over at me and I guess my, I guess my face says what my heart is because <laughs> he looked at me and he said, you don't feel that way, do you? And I said, absolutely not. There are some things I would change, <laughs> but I received them and allowed the Holy spirit to use them. And, uh, I know God in a way I never knew him before, but I know I haven't exhausted him because nobody ever exhausts him. Um, am I thankful? Yeah, I am. But I still have in the back of my mind, why? Was that really what I needed? Uh, like I say, I'm a white kid, Stephen. Uh, I'm working on it. Uh, God and I are... Uh, I don't think he minds my questions. I really don't. Sometimes he helps me. Sometimes he doesn't answer them. Uh, and that's where, again, I go back to what we said earlier. Uh, I got to become smaller and God's got to become bigger in my eyes. He's too big to not be trusted and I'm too small to trust myself. It's now, a journey. I think Susie's story is a classic example of what you talk about in your book about the agony of faith. What is that? Oh, that's one of the worst translations the translators ever did. And, you know, when I say that, please, please, people who are listening, I'm not undermining your English Bibles. But you have to realize that somebody who translated that English Bible is a human being and they've got their own agenda when they translate. And now in our days today, all you got to do is type in Greek interlinear or Hebrew interlinear and type in that passage and you can see what's really going on. The Greek there is agonizomai in, I think it's hata agathos agon from memory. But I would translate it agonize in the good agony of faith. You know, when they translate it, fight the good fight, it's like a battle cry. Let's do it. Uh, but why won't they just translate it the way the Holy Spirit wrote it? Let's go agonize in the good agony. Why? Why is that? Because I don't see God, but I see what's happening to me right now. And I feel what's happening to me right now. And when I see and feel those things that are not good and they hurt they can easily overwhelm me and it's hard for me to see God. And okay. so faith is an agony. It's hard work. <laughs> All right, now, I'm going to take, we got about, oh, 20 plus questions from pe people who registered online. Oh, great. And I kind of packed them all in there. Now I'm okay. Put you on all the right, fly. let's rapid fire. <laughs> <laughs> now this is going to be one big one. Oh, okay. 